Let's pray one more time. Father God, thank you that you are good to us and kind to us. Help us to remember your love, to remember your goodness, and to set our eyes on you. May you be our heart's treasure and greatest desire. May everything else that vies for that, that promises the earth and leaves out you, may it fade into insignificance. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Help us to understand your word and and apply it. Help us to live it. Speak by your spirit, Father. Amen. The wheat among the weeds. Or to put it the other way, the weeds among the wheat. Or the enemy at the gate. Or the enemy, rather, within the gate. Uh, A Christian... There's many ways you can define who a Christian is. But I want to suggest that a Christian is someone who has been rescued from sin and death and brought into the kingdom of God. This is the basic definition of a Christian. Someone who was dead and who is now alive even if they still live in a world of death and sin. Someone who is waiting for the return of their king. For the return of King Jesus in power and glory. A Christian is someone who is longing for the day when we are made like Jesus. When when the sin that so easily entangles us, the parasite of sin within us, is eradicated and undone and we are made new and like Jesus. We will see him as he is and we will be made like him. A Christian is someone who longs and hopes for that. Because although we are already new people, although a Christian is someone who has been rescued from slavery to sin and to death, we, 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 still, we still struggle with sin. We are a new people, but we need to remember. Peter's told us in Second Peter already that, that God has given us all that we need to live a godly life, to live a kingdom life, to live a life that belongs to eternity, to live the life that will be ours when we see Jesus. He has given us all that we need. We don't live it completely because we we still live in a sinful world and sin still lives in us. And so Peter said to us, we need to choose to live that life. This was our second sermon in Peter. Peter said, add to your faith, add to your trust, not so that you are saved, but but because you are saved, live it out. Add to your trust the character of your king. So add to your trust. What did he say? He said, and this is a a fantastic list and it's something worth worth, uh, thinking about every morning. He says, add to your trust, uh, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Uh, and, and knowledge, and self-control, and patient endurance, and godliness, and brotherly love, and love for everyone. And, and he said, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are blind, are short-sighted. They forget that we have been cleansed from our old sins. And so Peter says it's quite possible for Christians to live forgetting that we are a new creation. He says it's possible for us to live with sin running our lives. And he says, no, live like Jesus. 
We won't ever be perfect this side of eternity, but we can grow more like Jesus. The Spirit works in us to make us more like Jesus, but we also have to choose to do that. It's one of those things. Who, who makes us like Jesus? Any answers? Jesus makes us like Jesus. Any other answers? The Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus. Any other answers? The Word makes us like Jesus. Any other answers? You choose to. You choose to, exactly, Brett. You see, that, that's the incredible thing. God does it all, and Peter says, right, you guys choose to do it. You can only choose to do it because God will do it all, but you have to choose to do it. Because if you don't choose to do it, you won't do it. Because we default in this world to sin. Do I have an amen to that? Amen, yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's not just me. I want to live like Jesus. I don't always succeed, but I want to live like Jesus because I want to be with Him and like Him for eternity. And the more we get to know Him, the more we want to be with Him. And the more the gospel is not just a self-preservation lifeboat, but it's an it's a, it's a understanding that life without Jesus is not life at all. He becomes everything. Peter, Peter knew that King Jesus is King and that King Jesus is coming back. He walked those years with him. He saw him teach. He saw him do incredible things. He saw him executed and raised from the dead. He denied him three times and was brought back by Jesus and forgiven and tasked with feeding his sheep. But, but Peter... Peter also saw a glimpse of King Jesus in his kingdom. This is what we saw last week. Peter is sure that Jesus is coming back because he has seen King Jesus in his glorious kingdom and splendor when he saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was revealed, when the, when the, veil, the, the, the veil covering him was taken away for a moment and he heard God's voice affirming that this is his own son. His loved son. And Peter says, guys, Jesus is coming back, so, so live knowing that. And we said last week, if Jesus isn't coming back, then, then we're idiots to be here because it's outside and we can be having fun. If Jesus isn't coming back, then you should be going out and doing whatever makes you feel best because this life is all that you get. Amen. But, says Peter, Jesus is coming back. I saw him. You've got my testimony and you've got the testimony of the prophets who spoke for God. But you see, while we have God's true testimony, we also have always had people who claim to speak for God but don't. And I've got to tell you, when we come to a passage like 2 Peter chapter 2, I and, and hopefully a whole bunch of other people who dare to preach in this go, oh, I don't like this. It's like, wow, I don't want to be this man. Because these are people who say, and by the way, I do believe Jesus is coming back. Let me just make that clear. These are people who say Jesus isn't coming. These are people who say, live as you want. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 that there will be 
false messiahs, false people claiming to be Jesus, and false prophets will rise up and will perform great signs and wonders. Great signs and wonders. Miracles, healings, amazing things. So that they can deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. This will happen, says Jesus. There will be false teachers and false messiahs. Paul, as he's going back to Jerusalem, he meets up with the Ephesian elders and he speaks to them and he says, guys, and it's a tearful moment, you can just see the emotion there that they know he's, he's going to go to his death. And he says to the elders there, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following after themselves. And John, in 1 John chapter 2, wrote about there being many antichrists already come into the world. Who came out of the church. You see, if, if we think of our church as the wheat field, there are weeds among the wheat. False teachers who point us away from Jesus, who who instead of nourishing and and, and bringing goodness, detract and and would change the wheat into weeds. False teachers who, who don't say, look to Jesus, set your sights on Him, live for Him, add to your trust in Him, the life of the kingdom now, live out who you are. False teachers who say, Peter's stupid for saying live out who you are, just live for today. And they're good at it, aren't they? Uh, Luke, uh, I was speaking about this a little bit of Luke, and Luke said, well, you don't have people like that. Because I said false teachers are kind of like people who say, well, if you want to steal, go and steal. And they're not like that, do they? They're, they're, They're very clever about it. We've been watching, Taryn and I, we've just finished the last season of a show called White Collar. It's all about a con man. And one of the arts of a con is that you give enough truth that it's believable. And this is what false teachers do. You give just enough truth so that it's believable. You give a more palatable teaching. You tamper with the truth. They seem genuine, false teachers. For the most part, they seem genuine. And I'm not going to name names. There are people, famous people, who I would go, oh, right, I'm not sure you're teaching the gospel here. What makes them false is that they reject that Jesus is God and they reject his right to run our lives and they, they, they push religion or they push their own, well, their own ideas. And sometimes, as Jesus uh, pointed out, they, they can do incredible things. In fact, Deuteronomy 13, way back when, said, God said this, Suppose there are prophets among you, or those who dream dreams about the future, and they promise you signs and miracles. Now, my, my brother had his mother-in-law arrange for a prophet to give a prophecy that he should not marry my sister-in-law. False prophet. They, they happen. 
They occur. They're, they're in Australia today. All over the place. If someone gives dreams or speaks prophecies and, listen to this, the predicted signs or miracles occur. So you've got someone saying, tomorrow uh, the Dockers will play a football game and they will beat the Eagles. And you go, yeah, it's not even football season yet. And then tomorrow they have a, a scratch match and all of a sudden the Dockers are playing the Eagles and the Dockers win. And you go, wow, Nick's incredible. Anything he says like gold. I want to collect his spit because it must be precious. This is incredible stuff. And then I come to you. What does he say? And, and, and the predicted signs of miracles occur. And if they then say, come, let us go and worship other gods. Gods you've not known before. Don't listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love Him with all your heart and soul. You see, a false prophet might do incredible things, might even speak the truth about the future or the truth about circumstances, but if they then turn around and go, yeah, God smog, let's move on over here. Says God, don't listen to them. If they are for me, then they will be for me. I bought last year, I think it was last year, maybe the end of the year before, a battery for my laptop. Now, for anyone that's bought a laptop battery before, they cost an arm and a leg. So what does one do if one is smart? One goes on eBay, and one finds a no-name brand laptop battery that fits in your laptop. Woohoo! And it did! And it works! And it still works for today! It does switch off after 10 minutes, but it still works for today. You see, it, it's a good battery. It works. Except it's, it's not right inside. It looks good on the outside. It even it, it passes most of the tests. If I was to sell this laptop, I'd switch it on and they'd go, look, full battery. Oh, fantastic, wonderful. Actually, if they look closer, they'd see there are some other issues with it. But, but as I said, false teaching often looks good on the outside, perhaps even looks good for a while, but when you get down to it, there's something wrong inside it. Now, let's just be quick and just say, Christians are allowed to disagree on things. What day we count as holy, if we count a day as holy, what food we eat, what we drink, whether you go to the movies or not, for some of you that are old enough. Christians are allowed to disagree on many things. But there are some essentials that if we don't agree, we aren't following Jesus. If Jesus explicitly says, do this, and we go, well, actually we don't want to, then we can't say we're following Jesus. So we can disagree about areas where we're not sure, where, where we think God says this, and well, actually I think God says this, or, or this, or that, or, or whatever. We were talking about Revelation the other day, in, I think after music group one day, and there's all sorts of Christians who disagree. Fine, disagree. But if you come and turn around and say to me, well, Nick, Jesus said that actually you should live to enjoy life to the max now, regardless of the cost to others. I'd look at them and go, have you met the same Jesus? 
Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Watch out for false teachers, for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Their, their view, inevitably, when you boil it down to it, no matter what falsehood false teachers teach, in fact, I, I, I think I'm going to go on a limb and say this is always going to be the case. If a false teacher is false, their view of Jesus will be twisted. They will not recognize that Jesus is God, and they will not recognize that Jesus is sovereign. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus claimed to be God, to be fully human, fully God. Jesus has claimed to be the king. Jesus has claimed to be the one who has the right to tell us right from wrong. Jesus has claimed to have the right to, to, to own us, to, to claim us as his own. We find this offensive. And sin, for the most part, is saying, God, I don't want to listen to you. If Jesus shows us who God is, then, then sin and, and false teaching is, is saying, well, we don't have to listen to what God said, to what Jesus says. And so a, a really good first test of a false teacher is going, who is Jesus? In practice, to you. You see, on the mountain, Peter saw the risen Jesus. He was... Just before that, God had just opened his eyes to realize that Jesus is God, the Son of God. And then he saw it. Sovereign over all things. True Christianity follows Jesus. He is the author of everything. He is our rescuer. He is God. He is King. Do we follow him perfectly? Not at all. But, but, but what sets a false teacher apart from a true teacher is that a false teacher says... I don't follow him perfectly and I don't have to. Whereas true Christianity says, I don't follow him perfectly, but I want to. You see, instead of obeying Jesus, false teachers even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. And I can't help but wonder if they are among those whom the writer to the Hebrews describes like this. He says they have trampled on the Son of God. They have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy. Jesus' blood which washed away our sins, which made us new. Which paid the price which we deserve. We need to die and Jesus' blood took that away for us. He died in our place. He made us holy. They treat that as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. In other words, are they among those who go, God, I don't need to be forgiven. I don't need you, God. They have denied even the sovereign Lord who bought them. The sovereign Lord is actually one word. I didn't know this. It's despotes. I'm sorry for the Greek. I try not to give you Greek. But, but I find it interesting because you might know the English word we get from it, which is despot. Now, we think of a despot as a horrible, cruel person, but, but originally it just meant someone who has absolute authority. Someone who has absolute power and authority. In other words, Jesus is the sovereign Lord who bought them. Jesus is the one who has absolute authority over them because he bought them. He died, and when he died, he transferred us 
from sin and death into the kingdom of God the Father. That's what, that's what he says. That's what he promises. We are his twice by right because he made us, twice because he bought us at great cost. Were these, our false teachers, Christians? Bought by the blood of Jesus? They deny it. Jesus is very clear that those who belong to him can never, ever be snatched from his hands. John chapter 6, one of the best chapters in the Bible. Read it daily. Or think about it daily at least. Some people say, oh, you know, they, they, they put on a pretense of being bought by Jesus' blood. I, I don't think Peter says that at all. I think what we've got to say is, and I, I, I say this humbly, it's just my thinking and, and a few other people that I've read. Jesus, when he died, paid the price for us. 1 John uh, chapter 2 verse 2 says exactly that, that Jesus paid the price for us all. He paid for the false teachers, but they rejected him. You see, the price has been paid, but God by his spirit has to open our eyes so that we see that and accept it, and we actually have to accept Jesus. These false teachers were, were offered forgiveness, were offered life, and, and, and the offer was held out to them. They were in the churches, and they saw that, and they looked at it, and they said, it's not good enough. Promise of eternity with Jesus, why would I go for that instead of maximizing pleasure here today? You see... I find this interesting because Peter's writing about people who deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. And this is Peter writing. Peter who three times says, I don't know him. I don't know him! May God curse me if I know him. I don't know him! He knew the shame of that. The rooster crowed, he ran away crying. But he also knew forgiveness and restoration. These false teachers, on the other hand, there is no shame. They don't regret denying him. They don't care about him. You see, a, a teacher getting something wrong doesn't make them a false teacher. Peter got it wrong. He got it wrong many times. Is that famous time when Paul told him off and said, Hey, Peter, mate, one on which Jesus is building the church. Stop being a foolish man. They didn't quite put it that way because he wouldn't have called him a fool, I think. But he said, Peter, what's wrong with you? You used to eat with us all and now these people are here and you're going, Oh, oh, oh. you're not eating with us anymore. Come on, Peter, that's not the gospel. Peter got it wrong. A teacher getting it wrong does not make them a false teacher. I have preached things from this pulpit which are wrong. Hopefully not too recently. But every now and again it does happen. I remember ages back I preached a sermon on Cain and Abel. And I don't think it was right. Does that make me a false teacher? I hope not. Struggling with sin doesn't make a teacher a false teacher. 
Peter continued to get things wrong. He continued to struggle with sin. I know I do. But what sets a false teacher apart from a true teacher is that a false teacher steadfastly rejects Jesus' right to rule their life. It's all about self-fulfillment. It's all about our pleasures, our desires, our dreams. It's not about Jesus. How are we going? Are we still... Are we still awake? Are we still encouraged by this message of false teachers? There we go. False teachers appeal to and promise us our heart's desires now. 1 John 4, 5 says that they belong to the world. They come from the world. They, they speak the way the world speaks. And is it any surprise that the world listens to them? Uh, It's not surprising that uh, a a, a teaching of just do what feels good, God doesn't care, is popular. Alexander Nisbet, who was a, a lawyer, I think, he said this, It's not strange to see that the most dangerous heretics have many followers, every error being a friend to some lust. What does Peter say? He says, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. The gospel calls us to the narrow road of following Jesus, of following him even when it's not easy, of counting the cost, of of choosing the greater reward of Jesus forever. And I've told you the story of that marshmallow experiment where they sit their little kids down and they say, there's marshmallow on the table. Now, if you want, otherwise, when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And the number of kids who go, well, marshmallow now is better than two that might not come. Their gospel is, is saying, have the marshmallow now. Despite the fact that you can see the bag at the window being held up for you going, I've got them all, yeah, I've gone to get them ready for you. The gospel of the false teachers is one whose demands are those that we want to make in the first place. And so there's no need for me to turn from sin. There's no need for me to change. God doesn't care. He's forgiven me already. Just get on with life. Do what you want. See, their faith isn't about knowing Jesus. It's about using Jesus. Their hope is short-sighted and blind. It's about maximizing life now. It's not the hope of sharing God's glory forever, as Peter said at the end of chapter 1, of of sharing in the divine life of God. They go, well, you know, that's for the future. Let's maximize life now. Some false teachers might say that, you know what, you're good enough for God, just as you are. God doesn't care what you do. Some false teachers might come and say, you have to work extra hard for God. Some of us want to be told, you're fine, do whatever you want. Some of us want to be told, be as religious as you can be so that you'll be good enough for God. You know what, they're both false teachers because they both miss out on Jesus. He says, I've done everything for you. I've saved you now. Follow me. Wow, yeah. I'm losing my voice. I'm getting a bit excited. The gospel simply says, Jesus alone is good enough for you. Let him carry you. And false teachers succeed because the gospel is offensive to us because we want to carry ourselves. Jeremiah 5.31 says this. 
Speaking of Israel, but it speaks to the human condition. The prophets give false prophecies. The priests rule with an iron hand. And worse yet, says God, my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? You see, false teachers act falsely. For everyone, what we believe and how we act are closely linked. Peter's called Christians to live godly lives. We're almost finished, by the way. Peter's called Christians to live godly lives, to live the kind of life that Jesus lives. But false teachers live very differently, and they, and they encourage others to live their kind of lives. To, to follow, as, Paul, uh, as Peter says, uh, their shameful immorality, their shameful ways. It's the same word that he uses down in verse 7 where he says, God also rescued Lot and Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. It's the same verse that is used again in verse 18. Uh, They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who've barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. This is the one word. Uh, Different translations might translate it. Shameful ways. Filthy, lustful. It's, it's about the sensual shading into sexual sin. And, and it's, it's quite obvious that false teachers would go down this route because sexuality is a powerful gift from God and it's just as powerful when corrupted. And it's not meant to be what it is so easily made out to be in, in our society as well, a God. A source of meaning and fulfillment. It's one of the most powerful things that God has given in this world. And when we deny God, we need something to fill that void of meaning and fulfillment. And is it any surprise that throughout history, false teachers have gone there? False teachers act falsely. Hands up if you've sinned today. Come on. False teachers act falsely. I'm not saying that Christians don't sin, that we, don't, that we always act with pure hearts and pure emotions and pure intentions. We, we certainly do sin, but our ambition is to be like Jesus. If Jesus isn't coming back to judge the world, why would we let him decide right from wrong now? I mean, this is part of, of the very first sin, isn't it? Eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and evil basically saying, God, I get to decide what is right. I get to decide what is wrong. You see, destructive shifts in teaching, in what we believe, are often tied to and perhaps an excuse for how we act. I want to do this, and so I will adjust what I say God says so that I don't feel guilty. For Peter, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we should be imitating him. That's chapter 1. And the two are mutually sustaining. The more we, we get to know Jesus, the more we imitate him. The more we imitate him, the more we get to know him. The more we get to know him, the more we imitate him. The more we get to know him, the more we imitate him. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Tongue twisters, I'm terrible at. But, but that's Peter's idea. Of course, you can't start to know him by imitating him, you need God to open your eyes to know him first. So you need a kickstart from God. You need a, a, a jump start. 
see a spiritual engine, but, but the same sort of dynamic works, uh, that, that's just how we seem to be wired. Uh, for the false teachers, uh, false teaching and justifying a life of licentiousness, of sensuality, of, of, of sin, this, this is also mutually sustained. The more they teach falsehood, the more they move away from Jesus. The more they move away from Jesus, the more twisted the truth can become. The more twisted the truth, the more away from Jesus. The more away from Jesus, the more... And, and the self-perpetuating rabbit hole. It can either be a self-perpetuating, or not even, it's a God-perpetuating thing where we know Jesus imitating the Spirit, works in that, driving us, and, and it's God's Spirit driving that process, or it can be us driving ourselves down. Letting the gravity of sin pull us down. And the result, says Peter here, people focus on the distortion of true Christianity and the gospel is brought into disrepute. False teachers are driven by greed. Christians are those who set their hopes in God's glory, the promise of sharing his divine nature. False teachers set their hopes much closer to home. It's all about greed. It's mostly money, might extend to honor, sexual favors, what everything uh, in the context there, but, but a lot of it is money because money buys what you want. Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy 6, he speaks of men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to a financial gain. Christians, uh, teachers, have the right to be paid, but a lust for wealth shouldn't drive them. I get worried when I hear of megachurches in America whose pastors don't have their salary set by the church, but by a group, uh, and the church doesn't know how much they get paid, and their salaries are set by a group of other megachurch pastors who each set each other's salaries. I don't know. It might be innocent. Part of me goes, this doesn't look right. Let's talk about it in your 17-story mansion. If someone is just about getting your cash or someone is just about using you or if someone is just about objectifying you, alarm bells should sound. When we think about Jesus who came as a servant, putting others first, loving them as people, not about what, they can, what he could get from us, but about what he could give to us. Spending his whole life for his flock. Let's, let's finish. Are, are you surviving? This is, this is a really encouraging uh, chapter. I, I hope you're going to go home and be full of excitement and vigor and go, yeah! I'm sorry it's not a, it's not a uplifting chapter this week, except I think it is an uplifting chapter. Because... Although there are false teachers in the church, we can get so fixated and focused on the weeds among the wheat that we forget that it's actually a wheat field. It's not a weed field where some enemy has planted some wheat. It's a wheat field where an enemy came in and planted some weeds. And God has pronounced the verdict on the false teachers long ago. Deuteronomy 13.15 said, basically, the verdict is death for a false prophet, because they are encouraging rebellion against our God and our rescuer. 
our God who is our rescuer. False teachers, whether they accept it or not, are on death row. Their condemnation hangs over them. Their heresies are destructive. They destroy others by dragging them down and they destroy themselves. They might masquerade as angels of light. In fact, Satan himself, the great deceiver, masquerades as an angel of light. Does God get taken in? Of course not. Jesus says many times that many will say to him, Lord, we did miracles in your name. We did incredible things in your name. doesn't impress Jesus. What impresses Jesus is not how majestic we were, but how majestic we think him. Jesus knows his own and his own listen to his voice. They don't follow after a robber, Jesus' sheep, but when they hear the voice of their shepherd, they come running. Sometimes we... We amble. Sometimes we run with our heads pointing backwards, but we come running. And the more we run to Jesus, the more we run to Jesus. The more we want to run to Jesus, because when Jesus comes calling, it is good. So, how do we respond to this message? What's the take home for us? Uh, as, as I said to you at the start, as, as a preacher, I find uh, 1 Peter 2 onwards... Uh, 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 A frightening chapter because I certainly don't want to be the men that Peter is describing. And it reminds me, I'm sorry, I'm going to apply it to me first. It reminds me to every day test my motives, to check, and this applies to you too, so take it for yourself too, but but check where your treasure is. Check where your heart's desire is. Check what it is. You see, that's important for us to look at ourselves and go, what is my heart's desire? Whose voice am I listening to? What do I want? And then each day to go, well, I'm going to chase after that. And when you fall, the next day you get up and go, well, you know what? I'm going to chase after that again today. You see, I think we've also got to remember that, that if we steadfastly decide to act like the false teachers, chances are our teaching will go downwards as well. And what we say to others, and, and you look at me and go, well, you're the teaching, Nick. What's this got to do with us? You are teachers too. Every person you come across, you are teaching them about Jesus. And if our actions, or our, if our actions are persistently against what Jesus says, then we'll start excusing it. And when we start excusing it, then our actions, we, we start that downward cycle, pull down by the gravity of sin. So check our motives, check our treasure. But also remember, Jesus can and will forgive any of us if we just trust him, false teachers included. Our task, as Peter's already said, is not to pull out the weeds. Jesus said the same thing. Our task is to grow in our relationship and knowledge of God. If we do that, we won't be deluded by those who claim to speak for God but do not. That's chapter 2 of 2 Peter. And if we do that, we won't become despondent. That's chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Let us keep our eyes 
fixed on the future that Jesus sets before us. The hope of glory and God's promises. Let that be what so captivates us that anyone who promises less than Jesus may it, may it just be may it be like somebody offering you a smarty pack that they found under the cupboard that they bought 50 years ago. Probably still tastes good but you just know you're probably going to get gastro from it. Let our example be that of Peter, the denier. Peter, the denier, mind you, who when the woman came to him said, Jesus, God must be. Heaven denied Jesus. God. Let that be our example. Not the false teacher's example who refuse to believe that Jesus will return. But Peter, who runs to Jesus and says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Let us decide to follow Jesus. His cross, his glory, the future of sharing in God's nature, being one in the presence of God before us, the world behind us. No turning back.